and welcome to Writer Mother Monster. I'm your host, Lara Ehrlich, and tonight's guest is Anna Hoagland. Before I introduce Anna, let me tell you about Writer Mother Monster. Our conversations are streamed live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and then released as an audio podcast on all major platforms. As always, please chat with us during the live interview, and we will weave your comments into our conversation. A special thanks to our sponsors and patrons listed on the Writer Mother Monster website. Your support helps make this show possible. And if you enjoy the episode, please consider becoming a patron or patroness to help keep the podcast going. You can look for details at writermothermonster.com. Now I'm excited to introduce Anna. Anna Hoagland is a psychotherapist in private practice with an MSW from Smith College School of Social Work and an MFA from UC Irvine. Her essays have appeared in LitHub, Gloss, Big Issue, and elsewhere. The Long Answer, sold in eight countries to date, is her first novel. She lives in Vermont, where Anna has one two-year-old daughter and describes writer motherhood in three words as possible, impossible, crucial. Now join me in welcoming Anna. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan of the show, so it's really an honor to be here. Thank you. Let's start with those first three words, the three words you use to describe writer motherhood. So possible, impossible, crucial. Some some contradictions in there. Yes. Right before you said that in the intro, I thought I have no idea what three words I chose. (laughs) So they were kind of news to me because I think I chose them some time ago. Um, So kind of thinking on the fly about it, I am impossible. I don't remember what I said first, impossible or possible, but it feels impossible because they demand very similar parts of you, your attention, your compassion, your mind, your body, your time. Kind of, They both feel like they need all of you. And so I find it really, really, really hard to write and believe that I am a writer um, since I became a mother. Um, and yet I have written stuff. So it is possible because there's some things that I've written since become becoming a mother. But kind of hour by hour, I, I can't tell you how many times I tell myself this is impossible. <laughs> this is impossible. <laughs> yeah. um, so just both impossible and clearly possible, just challenging and crucial. That one was surprising to me. I think. I need to be both. I felt such a strong compulsion to become a mother. It was something I I have wanted my entire life. And I've also wanted to be a writer my entire life. And I didn't realize really until I became both how difficult it would be to be both, as I was speaking to. Um, but I can't imagine my life without my daughter anymore and I can't imagine my life without writing so I feel like I need to have both they're just constantly at odds with each other yeah yeah you said something um sort of toward the beginning uh that it's impossible to think of yourself as a writer sometimes um and that resonated with me I was lying there actually last night with my daughter she as many uh, long-time listeners know, has been sleeping with me since the pandemic, and it's sort of a hard um, habit to break. So yeah. if anyone out there has advice, please share it. Um, or Anna, if you do. But I, I have no advice. I, the napping <laughs> situation here is a disaster. So Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. It's always a disaster, but then the pandemic just kind of totally blew it out of the water. But um, I was lying there with her last night, and I was thinking, like, in that moment, I felt so much... Um, I felt so much like a mother that I couldn't really wrap my brain around a story that I'm working on. I, like, well, I wish I could sort of think about it as I'm falling asleep and figure, but I, I had my daughter sort of in my arm and I couldn't access that part of myself. And I think when I'm writing, similarly, I kind of forget about motherhood. Um, so that resonated with me. Is that what you meant? Like, do you feel that way or did you mean something else by that? So interesting because I think I have the opposite issue. I always feel like I should be doing the other thing. Mm-hmm. So um, when I'm and my daughter, we have very limited childcare. She's yeah, she's two. So she's only 
I've only known mothering in pandemic times. Um, and I feel like when I'm with her, which is a lot, I especially she's been out of school basically for two weeks because of Thanksgiving and then illnesses. And I'm just doing things you do with a two year old, like coloring and feeding her and that's like a lot of our time. Um, and I just keep thinking, I really should be listening to an audiobook, or I should be thinking more about my writing, or I should be trying to find a way to make this into a creative narrative. Even if I can't like sit at the computer, I can like be thinking. And then when I do get the opportunity in the rare moment to sit and look like a writer and act like a writer, I think I really should be cleaning I really should be I hear her like I hear her cry it's happening right now so just in this moment she's upstairs taking a bath uh with my husband I can hear her screaming and I feel pulled in this moment to help more honestly my husband um than my daughter at the moment um but also to feel like but this is my my work and the thing I want to be doing. So I, I, I am sympathetic to how it is for you too. Cause I feel like both are, are speaking to this. Um, if they feel mutually exclusive, cause you can't be doing both at the same time. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And do you um, challenge those feelings in yourself or do you trust that that is the truth that you should be doing one of those other things when you're, when you're not? I try to give myself a lot of grace because I think that it's um, it's just my ego strategy to kind of to try to cope with uh, the boredom or the or the inadequacies that I might feel about my mothering or about my writing. So if I think I'm not doing such a good job of one of those things, I can try to vacate to the other and see if I can like if I'm a crappy mothered right now, like. Maybe I could try to be a less crappy writer by kind of dissociating. Um, and honestly, this was a lot easier to do when she was younger because even though so many other things were more challenging, she didn't have a lot of language, um, you know, as an infant or as a one-year-old. So I could listen to audiobooks and podcasts, and I listened to them for, like, seven hours a day just an incredible like a book a day basically like a book one to every three days and so I could feel like I'm not writing but I'm reading and I'm not maybe reading in the best way one could read but I am ingesting narrative even if I'm forgetting it immediately after because <laughs> I'm so tired and I'm so distracted uh, but then I could you know get to the end of the day and be like well I did care for my daughter and I did read a book and that feels like kind of the best you can hope for in that situation. Now she demands such a different kind of attention because she talks so much. (laughs) So I can't really (laughs) check out in this, in the same way. Um, But I, I try not to be too judgmental of of myself because I know that I just, I really want to be, both things and it's just really hard to be both things and it's okay to be bored and it's okay to be ambitious and it's okay to be all these things um I don't always like really feel that but I know that I know that I believe that yeah I, I believe it for everyone else I try to I try to believe it for myself I know I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you to you speak and I have such empathy and sympathy for you and Yet when it's me, I feel the same way. I'm like, oh, you didn't write the great American novel today. Instead, you, you know, I don't know what played Legos or whatever. But and then vice versa. It's like I wrote today, but I didn't pay as much attention as I could have to my child. So it is always that tug of war, I think. Um, Does being a psychotherapist help, do you think? Or does that sort of um, is that are you fight? Well, yeah, I'll just ask that question. Does it help? Well, it helps. Well, I should say just as a preface that I recently closed my practice. So just a couple months ago, around when my book came out, I not even for that reason, it just happened to be a time when a lot of things shifted in our lives and my husband got a new job. Um, 
and I saw an opportunity to take a little bit of time off and really focus on writing. And um, so I'm not currently a therapist, but I have been for a long time and I will be going back to it again soon, probably in the next couple of months, actually. Um, but it has helped in that I feel very not alone in, I see a lot of parents and, and new moms and um, <clears throat> was counseling throughout the early days of the pandemic. And whenever I was feeling like really depleted and really, really struggling and having lots of thoughts that are, you know, what Jung would call like shadow territory, you know, the thoughts you're not supposed to have. I felt really like that was the most natural thing in the world. So I, I did find my judgment of myself was diminished just because I heard so many people confessing these very things all the time. And I felt so much solidarity with, with my clients. So it helps in that way. It doesn't help in terms of time. Um, and that was really, really challenging when we had no or very, very little childcare, really just my parents sometimes when they could help out. Uh, so both my husband and I working from home with really no care or if we did have care, she'd be like in the next room. Uh, so there was no, um, it was finding time to write was, it was definitely more in the impossible territory. And I felt motherhood is humbling in to me in so many ways. Um, but one of, one of the ones that's been most acute for me is, how it, you confront every part of yourself that you, you know, ones that you are proud of and cherish and ones that you're not so proud of. And I had no idea how ambitious I was until I became a, a mom, until it became so much harder to work towards those ambitions. Oh. And that was something I did have a lot of judgment about. I was like, well, I, I wanted to, leave and go to a writing retreat and like not deal with baby. And I was like, I can't believe I, I just was surprised by myself. I didn't realize that that was, would be how I reacted to motherhood. So the, the, yeah, the ambition and the need to have time for myself and to use my brain was so much stronger that I realized, cause I'd always had the privilege of being able to, to do those things, it's like you don't realize how if you have an addiction until someone takes away the substance and then you either have a really hard time or you can manage it. And I had a really, really hard time not being able to connect with my my brain um, and to try to do things that I thought would help allow myself to be a writer in, in a longer term. Wow. You know, that's. It's interesting to hear you say that motherhood um, sort of revealed your ambition to you. I had sort of the opposite experience where I knew I was so ambitious that I didn't want to be a mother for that reason. Mm. Because it's like, how would I balance my like outsized ambition with the the need of a small person? who would conflict with that ambition or, or block me as you've described from doing those things that, that feed my, my passion. Um, but motherhood sort of revealed to me, I think that there was another side to the ambition. I think that, that I, that I was ambitious enough to keep going, um, despite those, those, um, those barriers mm -hmm. and I wonder how did you work through it or are you still working through it are you it is an active yeah. it is an active working through um thank goodness I have a, a husband partner who is he had more of a similar uh, experience to you in that he was um very knew how ambitious he was, didn't have a kind of complex about it. It was, I think also in men, it's like, you know, more acceptable. Um, so he was really wanting to have a writing career. And then when Faye was born, he found himself surprisingly, and he definitely still wants that, 
but we found ourselves going in different directions. So I was like, oh, I didn't realize how much I wanted that and how much I need to write, not even just for ambitious reasons, but just for like to keep my soul alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he was like, oh, maybe that's not as important to me as I thought. And maybe fatherhood is the thing that's much more nourishing to me than I expected it to be. So that's something we talk about a lot because it, it comes down to a practical jostling almost every day of who gets, especially when you don't have outside childcare, who gets, you can't both be writing at the same yeah. time. So sometimes he will be like, you seem to need it more. <laughs> He's usually right. Um, but sometimes I feel like I've, I've been writing more and I feel disconnected from Faye and she's been preferring his care and we've kind of gotten into this kind of out of whack with each other and I feel like I need to repair something with her so then he'll go and do his own thing um but this is also like supposing that when I have the moment to write I have the energy or the interest in writing which is not always the case um in fact I would say it's rarely the case I usually just need to like watch YouTube clips for like a while (laughs) or take a nap or do something very unproductive um, just to kind of regulate after not being in touch with your own body for so long. Absolutely. And your daughter's so young too. I mean, two is still so, I mean, even my daughter who's six is very, I don't mean this in a negative way, but needy, right? Like they need you and they need your attention and they need you to play with them and feed them and help them use the, potty or change their mm-hmm. diapers or whatever so yeah by the time you have that moment where it's just you I mean I'm with you sometimes I just need to lie there like and just stare at the ceiling and just be like oh no one's touching me no one's asking me for anything I don't need to make decisions I can just lie here yes I think it's as you're speaking I'm realizing it's a, a need to be invisible and not needed by anything even even yourself. Yes. It's like you just need to vacate. And I have this fantasy now that is ridiculous in its simplicity to achieve, one would think. But I just want to go to a thrift store like <laughs> so badly, um, like in a town a little ways away. There's one that I always pass on my way to my parents. And I it just looks I don't know. I just want to go. And it, before I had a baby, I would have just gone or I wouldn't have even thought about it because it would always be an option so I wouldn't rise but I I I was thinking about it the other day like I just want to go to this fucking thrift store like why do I want this so badly and I started like sobbing um and I realized that it's just this desire to be invisible um and to just like wander this the aisles of this store and maybe buy nothing but just be totally unneeded Mm-hmm. And on, and you're, I'm distracted from myself too, because I'm just like looking at the little things. And I, that's another thing I didn't realize how important that kind of thing was to me because it, it was just something I could do without sacrifice. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to again give myself some grace for when I, when I do have a moment. I don't always want to write with that moment or be productive in any way. Sometimes I will go to the the thrift store in the neighboring town and buy something silly. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what I needed to do before I could like, you know, you have to ask. It's really hard. Writing is hard. I mean, obviously (laughs) to you and anyone who listens to this, like you, you need, there's a certain place that you need to go to or a certain, um, physical calm that you need to be in. And if you have been attending to someone else's body, and of course they're needy, they can't do anything on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they do need you. It's not pejorative. They're just children. <laughs> children need their parent, their caregivers. Um, then it takes a while for me anyway to think like, well, what is the the most neglected thing right now that needs my attention the most because it might be the the case it's happened to me just today um where I watch her for like six hours in a row and she doesn't nap 
also, which is like never announced. Um, and I was like, I am hungry. I am thirsty. I am tired. I also want to go on a run. I also need a shower. I also want to stretch and do yoga. I also want to read. I also want to write. I also want to do nothing. It was like all those things have been neglected for so long that I just had to like sit for a minute and be like, well, what, what's like the most pressing thing? And I might, I'll probably only have time to do one of those. And sometimes it is like writing one sentence. And then, I mean, today I use that time writing one, correcting one sentence. I've been sort of like kicking around in the morning in my head. Um, and then I did a 15 minute, 15 minutes of a 20 minute yoga video. So I didn't finish it. <laughs> and I ate. And that was that. And then the window was over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. I will say, and I'm sure you hear this a lot, but I feel compelled to say it, that it does change and it becomes easier to find those longer stretches. Um, Oh, I always need to hear that. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. It does. It does. And I remember somebody telling me six or seven is around the age that they, they you kind of find that time back. And I would say that's true. Like, my daughter can kind of occupy herself for a stretch now. And the things that she wants to do with me are more enjoyable to me. Right? Like, not that I didn't enjoy playing with her. But, like you said, it's okay to be bored. And I would often be bored playing blocks or whatever. Because that's something young children are doing to to learn. And it's something that adults have very a hard time tapping into that sort of Yes, two-year-old mentality, you know. Mm-hmm. So when when the, when they get older and they're interested in like story, like books and and writing things and drawing and oh, it's it gets a little easier, I think. No, I, that always makes me relieved to hear that. And I mean, just having when she's at school, it's so much easier because I I mean I do have to like waste time um, for a while. Uh, before I can really take advantage of the day. But, um, and for those listening, I put waste time in air quotes because I don't think that finding regulation and sort of, you know, watching YouTube and being on Instagram or whatever that looks like nothing, I think that is really valuable. Like, we actually need that um, to sort of separate from being mom to being whatever else we're yeah. trying to be in life. Um, I'm very lucky that she loves art museums. <laughs> Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and we live near Masmoka. We live in southern Vermont, and Masmoka is in northern Berkshire, so it's about 25 minutes away. And we brought her there just purely selfishly. We were like, it was like a rainy day, and the COVID was pretty bad, and we were like, this is kind of the biggest indoor space we can think of. And she just loved it, and we spent like four hours there. <laughs> So now we go all the time. We go like once a week. And um, that is something I didn't expect to be able to share with her for years. And then she comes home and wants to draw. And we draw like pictures of. And the the cool thing about Masmoka is the art is so abstract and so, you know, bizarro that you can kind of draw something that looks a little bit like a solo wit, <laughs> you know, just like. Colored yeah. squares, you know, like a two-year-old can be like, oh, that looks like she loves James Terrell. Um, so that is that is something I'm really enjoying with her. But it is still, it's never the same as being in a museum yourself where you can really, like, connect with the art. Like, I'm connecting with her connecting with it, which is a different kind of, of joy. Um, but, yeah, then when there's, like, blocks or reading the same books over and over and over again to her bunnies. Um, (laughs) It is, I think it's okay to, I think some people do really enjoy that. Um, And I have a lot of envy actually for people who enjoy that because I, I just don't. And I, I, I'm finding that that's okay. I, I don't find that fun. (laughs) And that is okay. You know, I, again, I love her. And I don't find that fun. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, Another writer um, on the show at one point said, I hate playing and that's okay. And my, I save my creativity for my writing. Like that's where I play. So I don't have the creativity to spend doing 
creative play with my child. And they're like, but I do other things. I, you know, they said, I don't know, whatever it was that they enjoyed doing, just like you take your daughter to museums. And I like to go on like trips with my daughter and take her to new places. And that's our sort of bonding um, activities. And my husband's better about imaginative play. So, you know, he could do that. And, and like you said, it's okay. Yeah, mine too. It's interesting. Like they, they will play Legos for so long yes. and I'll come upstairs and be like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Expecting him to feel like I would feel in his position. And he's, he's like, Oh no, we're having a great time. We're building, they're always building like some fortress around this little toilet piece <laughs> that we have like for maximum privacy. And, and, um, I, do, I will feel envy. I'll be like, I wish that I could enjoy this activity with, with her in the way that you can. And I, I don't quite know what it is about us that's different, but I know that part of it, and this kind of might seem like um, a superficial reading of it, but my back hurts. Like being with a toddler, a lot of it is being on the floor and being in uncomfortable positions. And I will be so uncomfortable that I'll do anything to avoid floor play which is pretty much all of what it is um so he'll walk up and see me and she'll be playing legos and i'll be just lying on the floor (laughs) kind of handing her pieces you know like and so it's no wonder that she prefers to play with him because he is just better at that um i'm hoping i can't remember where i heard this uh one of those things that i heard when I was so sleep deprived, I didn't retain who said it. So I'm sorry, I can't give credit, but someone said something about how you might not be the best mother to your child at all ages. There are going to be certain ages where you can be the kind of mother you really want to be in certain ages where you can't. And I'm finding that I found that so comforting Um, because I heard that in a time when I felt like I'm not, being the kind of mother I wanted to be when I like 18 months was really, really challenging with so much mobility and so little safety awareness. And it was just really rough. And um, the museums are really valuable to me because they're, they're a glimpse into what we might be able to share. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll be, you know, the kind of mother I hope to be when she's 10 or 15 or 20 and my husband is just better able to match her when she's two like that I was better to able to match her when she was a newborn you know because I was breastfeeding <laughs> right no that is that's very insightful I think I've definitely found that to be true in just the short six years but yeah and I have to just a tangent but I also love mass mocha and we take my daughter there and I think we took her there when she was under a year old for some exhibition and she was just totally wide eyed and just enthralled. And it is, it's such a fun place for anyone near Mass Mocha who hasn't been, or just if you're not near Mass Mocha to go, it's, it's incredible. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, absolutely. What a surprise. I didn't expect it to be, I feel too young to be in there because I'm like, am I not appreciating properly? (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah. I think if you live near any kind of museum, um, it just might be worth a a shot to see. It definitely at least passes the time faster than I mean, I feel like a babysitter sometimes, like waiting out the clock, like when I'm home (laughs) (laughs) alone for hours and hours, like doing sorting popsicle sticks or something, uh, at least getting out in the world, getting her into the car and getting her dressed is, you know, not easy almost ever. But once we're on our way, I feel like the afternoon, I'll look at the clock and be like surprised at how like, oh, it's already nap. Um, Whereas when I'm home with her, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's only eight. I can't believe it's only eight, ten. <laughs> I can't believe it's only eight, fifteen. <laughs> I remember. Oh, God. Yes. This is bringing it all back to me. <laughs> um, tell me about. So when did you write your book? I wrote the long answer over the course of well, it ends up being three pregnancies, actually. But most of it I wrote while pregnant with Faye, my, with 
with my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had written the first part of it during my first pregnancy, um, which ended at 20 weeks. Um, He had a severe congenital heart defect. And so we terminated the pregnancy. Um, And I decided to keep writing the book because, which was already kind of about pregnancy and mother becoming, um, because I, I felt like I still really needed to read it. Mm-hmm. And I had found so little written about pregnancy in general and pregnancy loss, especially. And I, I found myself just wanting to write the book even more rather than abandoning, abandoning it. Um, and then I had got pregnant again and had an early miscarriage and I got pregnant again and had Faye. So the real bulk of it was over the course of that third pregnancy with her, which was a really um, anxious time to put it sure, yeah. mildly. It was, I, so I mean, getting to the 20 week anatomy scan, it was just like every day was an eternity. Um, I played so much Zelda. I don't know when I wrote, honestly, I just like played Zelda and, saw my clients in the afternoon uh and then right after we got past the anatomy scan covid started so i had finally started to feel like a little bit i was always going to be anxious about this pregnancy no matter what any scan said just because of what i've been through already but i was trying to actually visualize like oh maybe this will be okay like there's really nothing indicating this this one won't be okay and then COVID happened and I was thrown. I mean, and this is early days. If you remember, we're like, we had no idea what this was going to look like. Um, no masks, no, no vaccines, no tests. It was really, uh, intense time to be in your third trimester. Um, but that's when I finished it. I finished it when I was 38 weeks pregnant. I sent it to my, sent it out to agents and I signed with my current agent on my due date. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then he sold it pretty soon after that. I think she was like a couple weeks old. So I don't ever quite, I never really have a short answer to how I, um, how, when I wrote the book, cause it, it did feel like kind of like it became different, a different book, yeah. but it was, yeah, like 20, 2019, 2020. Oh. I think this is a good moment if you'd like to share a little bit from the book. And then I want to ask you about those pregnancies and how they informed the book and how it changed after the first one and the second one and then into the third one and the pandemic and like all of those influences and how they made their way into the work. So, but let's hear some first and then we'll talk about it. And I'll give you the full screen once you're ready to read. Okay. Let me just think for one second about what I, what I want to read. Um, trying to think of something on theme with what we just talked about, but um, I'm just going to read the the passage that I I often choose to read. So I apologize for anyone who no, has heard me read this before, but um, I choose this passage. It's from the beginning, it's page 15, um, because it's the first time in the writing of the book that I felt like. I was really being pulled by the story rather than pushing it. And I, I did pleasantly feel, luckily, this is not always the case, um, a bit of a tailwind while writing this because I was so eager to access the material myself. But this was a, a deepening of that. Um, and this is about a woman named Elizabeth and her engagement uh, to her first husband or sorry, second husband. In their final year of residency, he proposed on a surprise visit over Memorial Day weekend. He placed the ring on the table at a crowded Thai restaurant they'd been to many times before, a diamond with a sapphire on either side. Too expensive, too garish, she first thought, she told Margot. Imagining him picking out a ring she did not like, and the shame he would feel if he knew, is what made her cry as she said yes. The visit had been a surprise, but the proposal wasn't. They'd been discussing marriage for months already, over Skype and the phone and late at night in bed during their short intermittent visits, and they both knew she would say yes when he asked her, whenever that would be. 
She'd already been offered a job in Anchorage, and Patrick would look for one, too. This time, they would move together. The ring was not heavy, but it caught on the threads of her sweaters and scarves. It reflected sunlight into her eye when her hands were on the steering wheel or when she typed on her phone. She began wearing an old silver bracelet, a college graduation present from her uncle, so the ring did not look so out of place on her bare hands. When her leather watch strap broke from wear and sweat, she replaced it with a silver link band. She took more care with her nails, filing them often and gently pushing down her cuticles. On a free and restless day a week or so after Patrick left her with the ring, she walked a mile to Essence Nails, a tiny salon in a strip mall she'd passed many times on her way to the hospital, and treated herself to her first manicure since her high school prom. She tested several colors on her... Sorry, thumbnail before finally deciding on a shiny scarlet called Chalala and watched the woman clip, file, and buff her nails and trim the skin around them, then paint with the precision and focus of a surgeon. Afterward, Elizabeth's hands looked beautiful. They surprised her when she looked at them. She couldn't quite understand why she felt embarrassed when her colleagues and patients complimented them. She let the dishes pile up for two full days and an afternoon, afraid the harsh detergent would ruin the woman's fine work so quickly after it was complete. As she looked at her nails and hands and the ring on her finger, she sometimes wondered if she became, in ways she was not fully aware of, a woman who would wear a ring like this. Becoming this woman felt easier than telling Patrick she did not like the ring and she was not this woman already. She never asked him how he chose it because she worried the truth was he'd found it himself and was sure she'd love it. It would be better, she decided, to not know for sure and to imagine instead that he had gone with his mother, who had picked it out of the glass case of some upscale jeweler across Central Park, and the salesman had convinced her it was perfect and then she had tried to convince Patrick. Even though he thought it may be too much for Elizabeth, he was persuaded by their expertise. In this story, it was hardly his choice at all. Soon Elizabeth decided to like the ring, and soon after that, she hardly noticed it. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thanks. So, tell us a little bit about how that story changed throughout your pregnancy. And first off, I should say, I am so sorry about that experience. That's very painful and I can't imagine. Thank you. Um, well, the positive, I'll just start kind of from what I was just reading that this first story is based on the sister. Anna is the narrator. Um, her, she shares a name with myself. Um, Anna's sister's friend. <laughs> so there's a little bit of telephone happening. Um, and that was the genesis for the entire novel. So I became really interested in this story of this woman, Elizabeth, who was um, she's in her late thirties and, and pregnant with her second child. And then she, she confesses to her friends that she actually had another marriage when she was much younger and um, a pregnancy loss during that marriage. So it's kind of whole other life before she became a doctor and married her husband and, and has what looks like a very conventional kind of linear life, which I think is true for so many of us. The closer we look at someone and the more um, granular our own stories are become, the more we see that there's lots of little deviations and, and that, and that often often our encounters with loss of some kind um, in our lives that changed the traje- our trajectory. Um, so that was the story that I had written before I lost my own pregnancy. And then looking back, I realized there's a lot of foreshadowing <laughs> that the Anna character who was pregnant at the time, as I was, uh, might also not have a story that she expects to have. And it was another one of the first humbling moments of motherhood was, and I was always anxious that it wasn't like I took for granted, like I would have this perfect healthy baby my first time getting pregnant. But I, I did take comfort in early scans being reassuring and early tests and, you know, all the things that 
they can measure turned out fine. Um, so I had my narrator who was pretty parallel to myself. You know, she's in her first trimester and then she has the scan and it goes well and she moves on. And, and in all the stories that she's hearing though, the women kind of start off that way where they think either their pregnancy or their life is, is going to turn out a certain way. And then it, and then it doesn't. Um, and it, it's not like they just end, they become different stories. And so it felt, um, I want to say right, but really wrong. <laughs> I mean, right narratively and so wrong in living that that would happen to Anna as well. And I think that's one of the reasons like, I decided to keep writing the book, um, really starting from the exact place that I had started before because I realized, oh, this is it needs to take all, like, I think all characters need to encounter some kind of rupture. They don't all have pregnancy loss. I mean, obviously that's a theme, but a marriage turning out differently than they'd expected or any sort of relationship. Um, Cause I think that's, that's kind of how life goes <laughs> for most of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you tell me if you're comfortable talking a little bit about the termination and and how that um, made you feel or think about motherhood, about writing, about our world at large, because as we know, that's just become such a painful issue in, in our country right now. So is that something you'd be willing to talk a little bit about? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for asking, because I... I think it's so important to, to talk about. Um, I'm just trying to think about where to even begin. Uh, because the answer is so different from when I was writing it to now. Um, so when I was writing it, I wasn't thinking too much outside of myself in terms of readership. Or I should say that I had, ha- I'd written three novels before this that were all not very good. Uh, and then one that I thought might have a chance in the world and, and did not. Yeah, um, familiar. <laughs> yeah, I had a big drawer of things that didn't work out. Yep. And so by the time this, I started writing this, I felt like I really need to want to write this and need to write this because I know it's very, very possible slash likely that this will not ever be picked up by anyone. Um, so it really was like a survival strategy for myself. I wasn't like writing this to get, you know, have anything more of come from it than that. Um, so I felt like I needed to read a story that was, well, I, I felt like I needed to read several stories in one, which is kind of how it found its form. So I, I, cause I needed to read a story that was similar to my own termination because I hadn't seen that really anywhere. Um, really the only place was online forums on like baby center or, you know, some, the, the, and those were like, Oh my gosh, at the, like the kindest place of the internet is like where women are sharing yeah. these stories and it's just so nurturing and beautiful and you're so painful, but it's just the good intention. I expected to see like trolls and I, it was just like amazing resource when I was going through that. Um, but I also really craved a, a longer narrative and a, and a memoir or a novel or something. And it's not to say they don't exist. I, actually, since I published this, I've learned that there were a couple that I just wasn't aware of, <clears throat> but I did look and didn't find them. So I wanted to read my own story about not only pregnancy loss, but about an abortion and an abortion of a wanted pregnancy mm-hmm. because those happen too. And it's really absent from the debate on all sides of the, of the abortion debate, the kind of termination that I ended up. I never thought I would, I was always, always been pro-choice, um, but I never thought that I would have an abortion because I wanted to be a mom so badly. <laughs> and I even thought like, Oh, if I get pregnant by accident when I'm in college or a time when I'm not really, my life isn't set up ideally to become a mother. I knew I would keep it even if maybe that wasn't the wisest thing to do. So I was very lucky to not get pregnant. So I did not expect, this is really the only circumstances that I could imagine 
um, having an abortion is when it felt like the most merciful, uh, I want to say merciless, but I think it's, I mean the opposite. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, merciful, yes. Um, an act of love for the child who would only experience um, pain before he died. And I just feel like I needed to write it and I needed to read it. Um, but I also really needed to read stories that were had a greater perspective and a greater scope than that. Because when you're in the middle of a trauma, it feels like that's your life. It's going to just be this pain and you can't see beyond it. And even though intellectually I knew that I wasn't always going to feel this way forever. And there was, I was so grateful for my fertility and I knew it was possible for me to go on to have a healthy baby, which I, I did. I still needed to, it wasn't just enough for me to kind of hear, I need to like write them myself. Like I need to prove to myself this is possible by writing these stories that I really believe in. Um, so not just like this can happen and isn't it awful, but this can happen and isn't it awful. And then look like what can come out, like things, life keeps going. Um, and you either do end up getting the thing that you want or you don't and you get something else. Um, and it just kind of becomes part of the narrative. It's a different narrative than you thought you would have, but it's the one that you end up getting. And it starts to feel like, at least in retrospect, um, inevitable, like that this would happen. Where in the moment it was such a shock. And now I think, well, it had, it almost had to happen to lead to my daughter I have now. I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, you've already got me going, so don't worry. <laughs> um, I can't it's just so complicated now emotionally because yeah. it's an unambiguously horrible thing to lose a wanted child. I think it's more ambiguously horrible thing to lose a child that you may feel ambivalent about or don't want. You know, it's it's never clean emotional territory. I think it's always painful just in different ways. Um, and now I think, well, everything that led to my daughter is, I can't regret any of that. Um, and I don't regret anything that we did, but you know, it it almost feels like this, I don't quite believe in predestined, but it it has that feeling about it. Like I can't imagine having that baby now because I have this baby who's two year old, who has a beautiful four chambered heart and is just a giant and kicks my butt and I love her and I can't imagine my life without her just like I couldn't imagine my life without that baby so hearing stories and writing them in which a family is made not in the way that we expected them to be made were like so I don't know that I would have survived that time without hearing those and even I mean some of these stories in here the family be- gets made um, by not becoming like, you know, they go into a direction where they uh, choose, you know, never wanted a child and and maintain that. And um, then there are ones where nothing went the way they thought they would. And they end up they end up becoming a family just after, you know, taking more extreme uh, creative and being generous <laughs> to some of these characters. Uh creative measures to get to the family that they want. And I I think before I, before I'd gone through any of, of this uh, desire to have a child and loss, I would have been maybe more judgmental of people who would go to any length to have a child. Um, And I found myself becoming so much more sympathetic (laughs) because it it is just a, a want that for me was un precedented which meant the envy unprecedented um just which i think is a part of this that is so common that isn't talked about but i just want to say it because i think it is so understandable and so normal that you can have excruciating envy not that you wish they didn't have a baby but just like the jealousy the envy i know there's a difference between those two things but i can't remember what they are at the moment um of people you love like my sister had a baby who's pretty much the twin of the baby that died um and 
so complicated my relationship with that child, my niece, until I had one of my own. And now that she's just kind of my niece, I don't feel like that same complicated look when I or feeling when I look at her. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm going into I'm I'm spiraling um, into different places with my with my words because I'm I'm trying to like remember what it felt like writing the book before I knew I was going to ha- actually have this the baby that I ended up having and in a odd turn of events <laughs> um I the desire to not have a second child is almost as strong for me as the desire to have have my first child which was not what I it's another one of those things I never expected it was never a question for me that I wouldn't have more than one child um and the I mean I'm like terrified of getting pregnant (laughs) now which is I mean two years ago I was like would have probably killed someone you know to have had a baby and now I'm like Oh my god! Like so paranoid about getting pregnant. It's just, it's you. You can't always expect how things, how you'll respond to something. Not only how life will go, but like how you will respond to where life goes. Tell me about that fear. Is it a fear of a pregnancy that would um, that would not come to term? Or that's that's definitely a little bit of a part of it. But I know that if I really wanted another child, I would go through that again. Um, Cause I did like, I went through it and, and then I had another loss, which was not as traumatic, but definitely um, sad. <laughs> um, and I was like, I, I'm just going to keep trying to get pregnant until I have this fucking baby. Like I don't, I can survive any, I felt almost like, invincible Mm -hmm. by that point I was like take I can I can survive a loss like it sucks a lot but like I can do it so I'm just gonna keep going into the flames (laughs) like trying to get pregnant um and then I expected to feel that way again because my mother did so my mother had a loss very similar to mine with the pregnancy before me um so I have three sisters my oldest sister was born my mother lost uh, the second child at 23 weeks um, with an abortion of abortion as well, a congenital heart defect. That was just a coincidence. It wasn't related to my son's uh, just crazy odds. Um, and then she had me and then she had my little sister. And she just describes feeling exactly how I felt thinking, well, I, I still want the baby. Like, I'm still going to go do whatever I can to get this other baby. And But she just already had one. Um, I So it's, it's impossible for me to answer as if I haven't had loss and only parented during a pandemic. Because <laughs> um, I imagine if I didn't have either of those things, like, I could imagine life being a little bit easier with another child. But I think it's, to be very honest, um, what I was saying at the beginning is it's the ambitious part of me just being way stronger and than I ever imagined and finding that I just wasn't, I, it just disappeared when I had Faye, the, the need to have a baby. Like I, I had become a mother, I had my child and I felt like the, the end of that (laughs) and plus I have my hands full and like this is way harder than I thought it would be so I I can't conceive um literally or (laughs) figuratively (laughs) of another child in my house it's just I can't imagine having to work more and have more money and think and I people do it all the time um but I feel beyond capacity and it's some this is another thing I was I was quite judgmental of myself I feel like I had to justify it to anyone I talked to about it because the norm is to have 
more than one, although I think that is changing. But I've, I've felt more comfortable saying like I, I, I'm good with one. Like I, I enjoy what I have and I can't, I'm good. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> and anyone who has more than one child is, I cannot imagine the reserves that I that, totally that takes. Yeah. 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 I'm curious because I know you have one, one child if you yeah. had a similar, um, journey that that I did if you I know this is you're the host but I'm trying to no no it's a conversation a bit. <laughs> no I um I think once I finally realized that I could and wanted to be a mother um much like you I had my child and then I was like now I'm a mother and <laughs> like I'm good and I was quote unquote geriatric as well like I was 35 or 6 when I had my daughter and by the time we might have been ready to have a second one, neither my husband or I could fathom the sleep deprivation again or, like, all of the things that come with those first, especially, like, 18 months to 20 months with the milestones and all that stuff. So we were like, yeah, yeah. we can't. We just don't have the, the energy or, like you said, the money or the the time or any of those things. So, yes. I'm good. We have our one. Yeah, good. <laughs> We're happy with it. Yeah. And I, I've been reading about, I mean, this is more about a year ago when I, I was like, if we're going to try, I want to try around now. So I want to make like really sure that this is where we're, we are. Um, a lot of research around like the benefits to the child of having a parent who is able, is has, is mentally healthy and not over, not, uh, over, uh, I want to say overstrung. I don't know if that's, I'm, I'm clearly overstrung. I'm making up words. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Tapped out, yeah. uh, very stressed. The effects of that being much more harmful than like whether or not they had a, a sibling. Cause, and siblings too are a mixed bag. Um, you know, it's not just something that, makes you less selfish and less lonely. I mean, hopefully those things are happening, but they're also, they're another person. They know there's so much more to happen. And I felt like if I have another child, if I have to do this again, plus having a toddler this time, uh, I might die. Like I really felt like I will die. I am like physically will die or like become suicidal I will not survive this and I will not be a good mother to either Yeah, child. It's good. Yeah. That's some good self-awareness. I, not to make light of it because I feel the same way. So I, I understand that. Um, I wish we had more time to talk about resilience, but let's talk, let's sort of end on a note of resilience because um, when you were talking about living through losses and doing, you know, it's, and you said, I survived a loss. I can survive anything and I will have my baby. And I wonder if you feel the same way about your, your writing. You know, I think I also have those, those novels in a drawer that, um, either just didn't go anywhere or there was one that was almost sold a few times and it wasn't. And it oh just, gosh. Sort of, you know, it's like the heartbreak. So, but I think to be a mother and through loss, particularly and to be a writer takes resilience. And I wonder if it's the same kind of resilience or if they feed each other. How do you feel about that? I think resilience is a more generous way of putting what I feel is an obsession. Mm. So it's more like monomania for me. Like I will get this baby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I will get this book and it might look like resilience. And I guess it is kind of, cause I'm still going at, you know, after there's a lot of things that I've lost multiple books, lost multiple pregnancies. And now I have a book and a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is more a testament to just how badly I wanted both of those things. And also believed it was possible. Like, I think if I was really in despair, um, 
And I definitely have very, very dark moments about both becoming a mother and about having a book. But I think this is why these stories are so important because when you hear like about people who had these journeys that just were so gut wrenching and long and took lots of turns that they didn't expect. And then they, they, they get the thing or they get a different thing that they didn't think they would want, but is is satisfying to them. Um, it's really in- inspiring. And I think that for writers, I mean, how can you, no one hits it out of the park with their first book or if they do like, okay, that's like one person. Yes. <laughs> um, especially not like the first thing they wrote. And I, for me, I, I don't regret writing any of those bad books. Like I had to write them um, to get to something that felt more congruent with me and just more, um, I'm thinking of alternatives about of saying like finding my voice, but finding the, a way to write that felt like easier. Um, yeah. I wasn't affecting to be someone else, like a capital W writer. I was just kind of writing as as myself and feeling more confident in that voice. It just took me a couple books to get there. Um, but to just continue the baby and book um, <laughs> parallel, <laughs> it's not like you just get those things and then the story's over. You have to then live. I mean, so now I'm we'll have be mother forever, you know, no matter what happens with my motherhood um, life for now on. Um, the baby's born and that's not the end of the story. That's actually the beginning of a new new story and same with the book like a book comes out and it's it's so satisfying and so anticlimactic you know like it's it hasn't it's changed some parts of my life and hasn't changed at all other parts of my life and almost immediately after selling this book I became anxious about the next book so I feel like um it's well now that I'm talking I'm realizing I I just had a little bit of a um, a switch again of how I was conceptualizing things. I thought I would have one book and feel really satisfied with that. Like I, I did the thing that I've wanted to do since I was five. Like I wrote a book and I published a book and like I got that gold star <laughs> and now I want another one. Um, now I want to write another one. Like one wasn't, I'm, I'm, proud of this book and I'm glad it's in the world and now I feel like I have more to say about something else and want to challenge myself creatively and to keep working at this whereas yeah I always thought I would have multiple children and I had say and I thought actually I'm unexpectedly satisfied and um like over capacity with this one <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be a, a parent of one with hopefully more than one book rather than yeah. a one book writer with, with multiple children. That's they're both pretty nice, nice features. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anna. This was just such a thoughtful conversation. And thank you as well for sharing some really difficult things with our audiences. I hope um, that they resonated with viewers and helped some other women and mothers out there and but yeah I hope you'll come back with when you have the next book out I I hope I hope it will exist and I hope if and when it does I will be able to come back this I love the show it it feels like and I I I feel like it's easier for me to talk about these things than to not and I I like the conversation that you have with writers writer mothers feel like they're feeding something they feel so so truthful and and nuanced in a way that I I don't find in a lot of places so it's it's an honor to just be able to talk about about these things it's not um I don't find it hard I found I find trying not to talk about them when they're clearly in the room much more difficult so thank you for just making the inviting those these topics and inviting these difficult things. Thank you. Thank you so much. Come Thank back you. soon. I hope to. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And ooh. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us this evening too. Um, if you enjoyed the conversation, if it resonated with you, 
please consider becoming a patron or patroness of the show to help me keep it going. Um, it's a one-woman show at the moment, um, so every little bit helps. You can find more information at writermothermonster.com. And until next time, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season, and I'll see you soon.